This program is sponsored by North Valley Church of Christ. There's a message true and glad for the sinful and the sad. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. It will give them courage new. It will help them to be true. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring out. Good afternoon, folks, and welcome back to another episode of Redeeming the Time. I'm your host, Chris Macy, and I am the minister here with the North Valley Church of Christ. Well, uh, I want to give you a, a lesson. I gave this lesson on Sunday morning, and it's a <clears throat> excuse me. It is the beginning of a series. Of course, this past Sunday was uh, we, we celebrate Easter, the resurrection of Jesus. I know for for some that is a once a year occasion and remembrance, and I think that is a great thing. I, I love it when people around the world, those who don't give much thought to God at all, do spend one day thinking about Jesus, or at least coming in contact with some information about the Word of God that that is a seed being planted in the minds and in their hearts. As for me and my family here at North Valley, we celebrate that resurrection every Sunday. And, and Lord willing, uh, for all of us, every day of our life, we are thankful for such a thing. So this lesson isn't so much a look at the resurrection, but I am going to discuss some aspects of it. Now, one of the things, if, you, if you're if you a Christian, if you're a professed Christian, and you're striving in your life right now, and have been, to be like Christ, I want you to think about this in your mind. Is that a struggle? And if you're thinking, no, I'm doing pretty good about that, then you're lying to yourself. Because there is no way any one of us can come even close to being like Jesus. Now, you may be thinking, but Chris, we're told to be. That's right. We are to be like Christ. We are to strive to be like him, to walk in the light, to follow him. He is the trailblazer. But we are also sinners, and we continue to be sinners. The difference is now, if we have been baptized into Christ, the, uh, the waters of baptism washed away our sins. That is bringing us in contact with the blood of Christ. And then he continues to forgive us of our sins as long as we stay in the light. But that's what makes it so difficult for us, isn't it? We want to be like Christ, but man, we don't come close. And so we get depressed. We get down on ourselves. We start to think, this is impossible. Because it it, it is. We, we, We know it is. So I want to give a series. I want us to look at the Bible and look at the life of Paul. Paul was a man who is like Christ. But before I get into that, actually, let me, let me give you this story. It's a, a story you've probably heard this story before. I found it online. But it's about a five-year-old boy named Brian. And he was impressed by the story of Simeon the Stylite. Remember that? The Syrian hermit. He lived in the 5th century. And he was admired as a saint, which is a Christian, because he lived for more than 35 years on a platform atop a high pillar. Could you imagine that? I could Why would you do that? I don't know why you'd admire. I, I remember as a kid hearing that story, and I did not admire that. Well, little Brian apparently did admire that. So when he got home, he grabbed his stool, and he put it on top of a, um, 
a kitchen table. He put a box on top of the stool, and then he proceeded to climb up. And hearing the racket, his mother heard that, that sound and came to the kitchen and, and yelled out, Brian, get down before you break your neck, right? And as that poor little boy obeyed his mother and was climbing down, he muttered to himself, a boy isn't even allowed to become a saint in his own house. <laughs> oh, man. Now, we want to be that, right? We want to be good Christians, be more like Christ. Whose example are we going to follow? Are we going to follow the example of Simeon the Silite? <laughs> Live atop a high pillar, right? Well, there's definitely better examples to follow than that. And one of the best examples we can follow, now the best example, the best, obviously is Jesus. But that is, like we've already mentioned, that's difficult. That's a struggle, but we ought to. But God recognizes that we are going to have struggles with that. And so he has given us a litany of examples throughout the Bible. But the number one, outside of the person of Christ that he gave to us as an example, is the Apostle Paul. And Paul even encouraged us to follow his example. 1 Corinthians 11.1 Be imitators of me, just as I also am of Christ. And so we're going to start this series looking at this journey of Paul. Now we have access to more information about his life and his ministry than we have for any other follower of Christ throughout the New Testament. And so we've got an opportunity to understand how to be more like Jesus through Paul's example. And we're going to see some amazing ups and some some downs in Paul's life as he sought to follow God to the best of his understanding. And as is often the uh, the case in life, there are circumstances and events that mold and shape us, that take place in those hidden years when few are paying attention. And uh, that, that's, that's true for the 16th president of the United States, Abraham Lincoln. Most of us would assume that achieving the office of president of the United States was a fitting climax to Lincoln's already prestigious and successful life, right? I mean, after all, look at the presidents of the, the, the day and age of the last several decades. They all came from prestigious backgrounds. They worked hard together. They were very successful in life. Therefore, they became president of the United States. That was not the case with Abraham Lincoln. Most of us know he had humble beginnings, uh, being born in a primitive log cabin. We, probably, we learned that probably in school. <clears throat> but did you know that his father was illiterate and had virtually no formal education. That when Abraham Lincoln applied to law school, he was laughed out of consideration because of his miserable qualifications. He failed at his first career in business and started a business that ended in bankruptcy. He spent 17 years paying off that debt. Now, in our day and age, you know, losing a, uh, a business we started and having to pay off debt for 17 years... Ooh, that's difficult. You can overcome it, but that's difficult in today's age. Back in the uh, early, middle 1800s, <laughs> that's, a, that's not just a career ender. That's a life-ending event. But he did it. He got over that. He got through it. However, that's not the end of his failures. He spent six months in bed recovering from a nervous breakdown after his fiance died soon after their engagement. He failed to be elected seven times when he ran for office. 
1838, he ran to be Speaker of the State Legislature. He was defeated. 1840, he ran to become the Elector of the State. He was defeated. 1843, he ran for denomination of Congress. He was defeated. 1846, he ran for Congress and won. Oh, man, finally, right? He gets to show people what he's made of. Two years later, two years later, when he ran for re-election, he was completely wiped out, defeated easily. So that tells you, people didn't like him, did they? They didn't want him in there. You would think at that point he'd give up. 1854, he ran for the U.S. US Senate and lost. In 1856, he sought the vice presidential nomination at his party's national convention. He got less than 100 votes. 1858, he ran again for the U.S. Senate and lost again. Finally, in 1860, he was elected to the presidency of the United States. He is a, his perseverance rewarded him with unprecedented political success, and he was re-elected for a second term. Sadly, only five days after General Lee surrendered on the 14th day of April, 1865, Lincoln died. He was dead before reaching 60 years of age. If we didn't know about Lincoln's earlier life, then we might think that he must have had a magnificent silver spoon background with all kinds of advantages. But when we look into his past, we discover a life riddled with failure, tragedy, heartache, and pain. And I did not even mention all the children he had lost. I didn't tell you everything. That's just a snippet. He had a pretty rough upbringing and a lot of just failure. We often learn and are shaped by the dark and difficult pits that we find ourselves in. And we must never forget that, especially when we are in the pit and are convinced of nothing of value can come from it. Just as Abraham Lincoln's life is filled with surprise beginnings, so is the life of the Apostle Paul. Now, the Bible first introduces us to Paul, known initially as Saul of Tarsus, in a very brutal and bloody scene. The initial picture of his life, he, he looks more like a terrorist than a devout follower of Judaism. So to our surprise, to our horror, the blood of the first Christian martyr, Stephen, that splattered across his feet. He's, he's there. He's uh, in agreement. Uh, he's an accomplice to this vicious execution. Maybe you recall, Stephen was a, a young Christian living in Jerusalem. He was chosen to, to help out the widows, to uh, get them food. He was full of the spirit and wisdom, Acts 6, 5. The Jewish council of leaders at that time, uh, they were called, were called the Sanhedrin. They despised Stephen because he, uh, the, the, he had a strong stand for, for Christ. and he, they, could, they were befuddled by his words. They could not overcome him. So he was brought before the Sanhedrin for a trial. False witnesses uh, conveyed their lies. And Stephen was allowed to speak in his own defense. When he began to convict and confront them in his long presentation, they refused to listen. They, they literally put their hands over their ears and screamed out and tore their robes. They refused to listen to him any longer. So in this rage, they drove him out through the city uh, to the outskirts of the, uh, of the city there, and they pummeled him with large jacket stones until he died. That's a gruesome way to die. And Saul of Tarsus stood observing this entire episode, holding the robes of Stephen's murderers. Because Paul becomes such a central figure in Christianity, it is easy for us to forget his beginnings. Now, we knew that he was uh, against the church, 
But do you know just how bloody and evil the things he did? He was not raised, Paul was not raised to love Jesus from birth. He didn't grow up in the church. He hated the name of of Jesus. So much so that he became a self-avowed, violent aggressor who wanted to destroy the church. A shocking and surprise, as shocking and surprising as his is his beginning. Never forget where he came from. The better we understand the darkness of his past, the more we will understand his gratitude for God's grace. Later in Paul's life, when he was presenting his defense to an angry crowd in, crowd in Jerusalem, Acts twenty one thirty nine, he began say, by saying. I am a Jew of Tarsus in Cilicia, a citizen of no insignificant city, and I beg you, allow me to speak to the people. Now, when you take a study or do a study of the ancient city of Tarsus, you'll find out that it is, that's no podunk town. It was a busy, bustling metropolis located uh, not that far from the Mediterranean Sea. It was a province in the southeastern corner of what was then called Asia Minor, present-day Turkey for us. It was uh, uh, on the road going from the Orient to Rome. So all those uh, spices and, and things they would bring from the Orient to Rome, they would stop there. Then you had the seaport. It was an amazing place to be. John Pollock, author of The Apostle, A Life of Paul, describes Paul's earlier life, or Saul's, excuse me, earlier life. His parents were members of the sect known as Pharisees. They were fervent Jewish uh, uh, followers of nationalism, strict in their obedience to the law, they didn't want their offspring, you know, being friends with Gentile uh, children, but they wanted Paul to be intelligent, to be a leader. He learned uh, the Aramaic uh, derivative of Hebrew. He, he knew how to speak Greek. He had a working knowledge of Latin. He came to understand and, and bring to memory most of the Old Testament by his 13th birthday. He had mastered the Jewish history and the Psalms and the poets and the prophets. He had a swift mind. You you probably call him a uh, modern day fo- modern day photographic mind. He could just keep things, and, and you can see that in the way he preaches and in his writings of uh, the New Testament. So he was ready for higher education at the age of thirteen, and they took him down south to Jerusalem. They wanted him to study at the feet of a man named Gamaliel, who is the grandson of Hillel, the supreme teacher. The Jews still talk about Hillel and Gamaliel today. They were great men of the the, the Jewish uh, people, of great leaders and teachers. So Paul is going to be tutored by Gamaliel. Now, he let me uh, uh, skip ahead here. Paul learned from Gamaliel to dissect a text until all the possible meanings were disclosed according to the considered opinions of generations of rabbis of his day. He learned to debate in what was called the question and answer style. Of, uh, they called that the diatribe back then. He could expound upon things. Uh, for a rabbi was not only part preacher, but also part lawyer. He would prosecute or defend those who broke the sacred law. Paul was outstripping his contemporaries. He had a powerful mind which could lead to a seat on the Sanhedrin in the Hall of Polished Stones and would make him a ruler of the Jews. He lived for the day that he could become a member of the Jewish Supreme Court, that Sanhedrin. Those 71 men ruled over Jewish life and religion. They had a courtroom with curved benches, the very place where Stephen was uh, delivered that brave yet faithful confession of faith. 
Saul was likely a part of the larger audience who heard Stephen's defense. And since that day of Pentecost, recording in Acts 2, Jerusalem had been stirred up with that unprecedented religious activity. The more emboldened the apostles preached the good news of Christ, the more people were converted to the faith. Jews living in Jerusalem and pilgrims from around were embracing Christ by the thousands. And this was certainly maddening times for the Sanhedrin. And their attempt to silence Jesus and stop his movement by having uh, Jesus crucified backfired. Their attempts to silence the apostles by imprisoning and beating them also backfired. In Acts chapter 5, when they had arrested the apostles and put them in public jail, remember God sent an angel and miraculously helped them escape and sent them to the temple courts to preach. And totally embarrassed by these developments, they sent the, the captain of the guard with their officers and brought them back. And they did it without violence because they were afraid of the people that they might be stoned. Acts 5, 26. And then when they bring them in there, the council begins to question them. The high priest questions them, saying there in, in verse, uh, verses 27 to 31, We gave you strict orders not to continue teaching in this name, and yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. And that's when Peter answered and the rest of the apostles, We must obey God rather than men. And you can probably guess who was probably there that day hearing that speech. Saul of Tarsus. He was probably standing in the background listening and and watching. I bet you the hairs on the back of his head were bristling. He was listening, I think, angrily in his mind at this ignorant fisherman named Peter speaking of what he believed the now dead Jesus being claiming to be God. He didn't like that. Little did Saul know that that ignorant fisherman and those others would become his co-laborers in the work of establishing churches throughout the world. But before Saul could say or organize an assault against Peter, God intervenes through a surprising event. The Bible tells us there in Acts 5, 33-40, when they heard this, talk about what they heard from Paul and the other apostles, Paul, Peter and the other apostles, they were cut to the quick and intended to kill them. They were, they were done with these guys. But the Bible goes on. A Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law respected by all the people, stood up in the council and gave orders to put the men outside for a short time. So they were put outside. So they weren't even there to, to be able to hear this what happened. But Luke a a prominent figure in the life of Paul who travels with him, I bet you Paul told Luke this story. The Bible goes on. And he, Gamaliel, said to them, Men of Israel, take care of what you propose to do with these men. For some time ago, Thutius rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a group of about 400 men joined up with him. But he was killed. And all those who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After this man, Judas of Galilee rose up in the days of the census and drew away some people after him. He too perished, and all those who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I say to you, stay away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or action is of men, it will be overthrown. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them, or else you may even be found fighting against God. They took his advice, and after calling the apostles in, they flogged them and ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and then released them. Amazing. Boy, Gamaliel, intelligent, smart man there. In the midst of flaring tempers and irrational thinking, this wise, seasoned teacher calmly rose to his feet and warned them not to rush to judgment, not to be too hasty in their actions. you got to wonder, 
what Saul must have thought about this. His own teacher, his own uh, mentor. Did he wonder if Gamaliel lost his mind? Maybe this unexpected ally saved Peter and the other apostles' lives, right? So they were beaten, and they went on their way rejoicing because they had suffered for Christ, and they continued to preach about Jesus every day. And did you notice in Gamaliel's speech, he mentioned he gave two two uh, examples of men who were pulling people away, but when they died, the movement died. And when you look out throughout history, that's the way it works. If if you're creating a new movement, you either need to give people uh, cities, you need to give them gold, you need to be alive and encourage them. But if you die, or if you're not winning in some way, if you're losing, they they'll they'll scatter. Name one city or nation actual Christians have conquered. Now, some will say, well, what about the Crusades? Well, uh, you cannot, that is not biblical. The Bible does not uh, endorse that sort of thing. Remember, Jesus told uh, Pilate, my, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my people would rise up. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this world. It is a spiritual kingdom. So we don't, we don't take cities and nations. We've never taken one. But all these other nations have. All these other, like, you know, Muhammad in Islam, you know, it was was able to rise up because he was, they were winning. They were getting gold. They were taking cities. They were, they were a, a fighting force. That's why it grew. But if it didn't do that, if, they, if, if the leader died, if they weren't giving their people something, it would die out. How could the Christian movement live and move and grow if the leader, Jesus, died? He did die. But he was raised from the dead. And so they continued to preach Christ. And that is why Saul hated them even more. It drove him crazy. How dare they not listen to the Sanhedrin? So Acts 8, 2 and 3, he was ravaging the church, entering house after house, dragging men and women off as he would put them in prison. He told Agrippa, uh, I had to do many things hostile in the name of Jesus and Nazareth. He, he thought he had to. Despite the words of Gamaliel, he was having people put, he was giving his vote to put people to death there in Acts 26, 9 through 11. He was furiously enraged at them because he, he tried to force them to blaspheme. That is, what he meant by that is that he was trying to get them to admit that Jesus was not the Son of God. That would make them blaspheme. But he didn't know that at the time. And so he kept pursuing them and even to foreign cities. And he even tells Timothy in 1 Timothy 1, 12 to 13, that even though I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent aggressor, yet I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. That was, that's who Paul was. That's not what he became. Who would have thought that the man who would write so much of the New Testament and have such a positive effect on Christianity would have a past like that. So when we read the words from Paul saying that he was the worst of sinners, we need to keep in mind he wasn't trying to be modest. He certainly was one of the worst in some respects. <clears throat> and so this is, where I, this is where I want us to end in our examination of the story of Saul for, for today. But consider some lessons here. First of all, looking at Paul's life, we need to realize that no matter how any of us appear today, Everyone has a, had a, or had a dark side. 
Hopefully, most of our dark side is part of the past and not the present or the future, but we are all sinners. And when we came to Christ, our past sins were washed away. We began the transformation process, and that continues to today. Number two, looking at Paul's life, we understand that regardless of what anyone has done or been, no one is beyond hope. No amount or, or, or depth of sin is beyond God's ability to forgive. If God can forgive Saul, who tried to stop the beginnings of the church and even was killing Christians and uh, arresting apostles, he'll forgive you. No one is permanently disqualified from salvation. And looking at Paul's life, we learn it is never too late to make a new beginning with God. It's never, never too late to start doing what is right. We must not allow Satan to keep us stuck where we are, nor must we allow Satan to keep us focused on what we used to be. In Christ, we can become a new creation and have a new beginning each day. Who are we following? What do we imitate in life? Are we going to imitate uh, Simeon, the stylite, sitting up on a pillar to, to try to be more pious? <laughs> or are we going to imitate Christ? Are we going to imitate, imitate Paul as he imitates Christ? We can sympathize a lot with Paul, can't we? Because he is a sinner. So are we. Jesus never sinned. But we can see the grace of God in the life of Paul. If God can give it to him, he can give it to me. He can give it to you. And so that's our goal. That's the purpose in this study. I want us to look at the life of Paul to see how he came to Christ and grew in Christ. And we, you and I, can do the same. Wherever we might be in our walk with Christ, we can learn from this and we can grow from this to become a more mature man. Putting off the childish things, the immature things of this world, and putting on the spiritual life of Christ. We see Paul doing it, and we can do it too. I appreciate and I'm so thankful that you stuck around with me this afternoon. I pray that you may go home today and read your, your, your Bibles. Take a look at the book of Acts. Think about the life of Paul. Look how just horrible person he was and then what he became. What an amazing transition. Well, this is all the time I have. Thank you again. And let us always redeem the time while we have opportunity. Sitting up to sweep away till she'll done the better day. Ring it out, ring it out, ring it out, ring it out. Till the sinful world be one for Jehovah's mighty son. Ring it out, ring it out, ring it out. This program was sponsored by North Valley Church of Christ. To hear this program again and others, go to FamilyValuesRadio1010.com and click on the podcast page and find this program and many others right there on FamilyValuesRadio1010.com.